Good morning. Everybody wide awake, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I hope you're at the service you thought you would be at when you came this morning. But good to have you. If you're a guest, we'd like to say welcome home. We're especially glad that you're here. Uh, live stream, we're glad that you're with us as well. So a picture up here on the screen, that is an 1873 Colt 45. 1873 Colt 45 had a nickname. Any gun enthusiasts who know what that nickname was? The Peacemaker. That was the one called the Peacemaker. They say, uh, they used to say, God made men and Sam Colt made men equal with the Peacemaker. Well, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do you think this is what he had in mind? I seriously doubt it. And we're going to talk a little about, about being peacemakers today, though. So if you are new to us, we are in a sermon series. Take a step back. It's called Obey Everything. Of course, as you probably know, that comes from the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything. I was at a workshop at the men's retreat uh, this past weekend at Lake Aurora, and the workshop leader was talking about God's only goal for us is not salvation. Of course, God wants us all to be saved, but it's not just salvation. If it were, then as soon as we came up out of the baptistry, we would disappear. <laughs> we would just go straight to heaven, but we don't. We're here to live in this often difficult life, and the reason for that is God wants to save us and also sanctify us. Sanctification, the progressive process of becoming holy, becoming more and more like Christ. So we go through what we go through in this life and in this world. And part of that process is learning to obey everything that Jesus commanded. So in this sermon series, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we're looking at the commands of Jesus, both by his example and by his teaching, we're going to spend a lot of time in what's known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Right now, we're in the Beatitudes. Last week, we were talking about what it means to be poor in spirit. We recognize our poverty of spirit. We're blessed as a result because then God can help us. We realize we need help and we turn to God. Well, today, we're looking at where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, in these Beatitudes, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us how to have the blessed life. The word Beatitude comes from the Latin, means happy, the happy life, the joyful life, the abundant life. We have to trust Jesus on this. Some of this is counterintuitive. But we want more joy and blessedness and happiness in our life, and Jesus knows how to get there. And he's teaching us. And one of those ways is to be a peacemaker. So we know intuitively what peacemaking means. It's somebody's working for peace with other people in their own lives, maybe in the church, in a family, outside in the world. But I want to flesh this out with an example from the church in Philippi today. So we're doing our scripture work in Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote a letter to that church because they were having, uh, there was a couple of people having an interpersonal conflict. So I want to say three things about peacemaking today from that example. Number one, it's the reality of peace breakers. Okay, the reality of peace breakers. Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, where Paul writes, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other. So here's the problem. There are two women in the church. There's some kind of problem, some kind of division. Can't we all just get along? Well, maybe most of the time we can. 
but sometimes we can't. So there's a problem here. What's the problem with Yodi and Syntyche? We don't know for sure. We don't know for sure. Maybe it's because they were given such burdensome names. Maybe they were angry about that. How many Yodias do we have here this morning? Syntyches. Nobody seems to be rushing to name their babies, Yodia or Syntyche. But aside from that, that's a bit silly. What causes problems? Even in a church, sometimes there's, there's stress or division or difficulty, interpersonal problems. What causes that? Well, sometimes it's sin. When we read in the Bible where Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, there was division there. There were problems there. And part of it had to do with sin. There was a man who was living in an immoral relationship with a stepmother. And Paul's, everybody knew about it. And Paul says, you've got to do something about it. That's causing a big problem in the church. Sin always does. And that's just one kind of a, a sin. Sometimes, you know, there's friction because of just methodology and the way we do things. I, I read about all kinds of different churches. There's different ways to do church. And some people like some way, some people like another way. You got house churches. There's a resurgence of the, of the house church movement these days, and I think that's great. Yeah, churches that meet in malls and rented facilities, and then, of course, there's churches that own buildings and build buildings. You have liturgical churches and non-liturgical churches. Some of you are from up north, aren't you? And sometimes you may do church differently up north than you do down here in the south. Somebody told me, I think y'all got a redneck church. Uh, so I did some research that you, you might be a redneck church if, okay? So let me just give you some of these. <laughs> you might be a redneck church if, upon hearing that Jesus fed the 5,000, members asked whether the two fish were bass or catfish and what bait was used to catch them. Uh, you might be a redneck church if people think rapture is what you get when you lift something too heavy. You might be a redneck church in a congregation of 500 members. There's only seven last names in the church directory. <laughs> I'll just do one more here. You might be a redneck church if the final words of the benediction are, y'all come back now, you hear? So uh, there's a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, I can tell you, I've been preaching for 40 years, and as kind of the point person, always talking about different things. I've had people get upset with me over all those areas, over doctrine, maybe methodology, believe it or not, even personality. Now, the first two I can understand, the personality. I'm like, what's not to like? <laughs> I'm thinking, uh, i like Harry Truman. Harry Truman was running for president, and he's shaking hands, and one person said, Mr. Truman, I wouldn't vote for you if you were the only person running. And Truman turned to his aide and said, put that man down as undecided. You know, it's not the light. But really my point here is I'm talking about the reality of broken peace. This, this, it's a reality. Even though we're all Christians, we don't come up out of the waters of baptism perfect. Uh, you know, from hangdog disciples, spare us, O Lord, what Brennan Manning said. Some people look like they're baptized in vinegar, weaned on a dill pickle. Okay, so we're not always happy, easy to get along with. And God has to sand off the rough edges, and it takes time. My real point is, don't get disillusioned. I mean, if that happens in a church or in your experience, don't get disillusioned with the gospel, with the church, with God. I mean, this is all part of the process. They dealt with this in the very first churches that we read about in the New Testament. 
sometimes we're going to have to deal with it as well. By the way, I'm not dealing with a current problem or issue in the church. This is in this church, not housekeeping today. I think this is a very unified and peaceful church. It just kind of we're working. Yeah, we are. We're just working on prevention. We're, we're going over the basics and the fundamentals because we want that's a precious thing and we want to keep it that way. All right, number two, the importance of peacemaking. The importance of peacemaking. I'm going to read the same verse but add the last three words that I didn't have before. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord, in the Lord. So we're Christians. We're in the church and this is going to make a difference for us. We see the need for peace and for unity. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So we want to be united corporately as a congregation. It's important. This is a refuge for us, isn't it? Out there in the world, so much seems to be pushing against us, pushing against our faith. We're fighting to maintain our peace and our faith. We want to come here to the church and have it be a refuge of peace and solace. We can find encouragement and be uplifted. So we want to, we want to keep that and stay healthy in that way. Also, as individual Christians, there's a great need. You think of Yodia and Syntyche and what they must have been dealing with personally when they knew they were at enmity with each other. I can just picture Yodia bowing to pray, and she senses there's a barrier there. She can't get through because she has broken fellowship. Or Syntyche, it comes time for the Lord's Supper. She wants to focus on those elements and on Jesus, but instead of picturing Jesus, she's maybe picturing Yodia and whatever the offense may have been. See, it hurts us personally when we don't have unity and peace in the church. The foundation of our unity and peace, because we're Christians, is the gospel. Now, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.14, For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. So in, in the immediate context, he's talking mostly about Jews and Gentiles, these two different cultural groups who came together in the church, converts out of Judaism, Converts from a Greek background. This is part of the context in Ephesians. Part of the context of the whole letter of Romans were these two different types of people trying to get along in the church. And he's saying the foundation of that is the cross. It's the gospel. So the cross back there has a, a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. And it helps to remind us a good illustration that on the cross, part of what Jesus was doing was reconciling us to God. Through salvation, we are able to enter into a peace treaty with God. Before the cross, because of our sin, we stood in the path of the wrath of a holy and righteous God. Jesus' death is, is an atonement. That means it's a sacrifice. An atonement is a sacrifice to turn away the wrath of God. It's a substitutionary death on our behalf so we could be reconciled and have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, Paul speaks of the peace we have with God through Jesus Christ in this grace in which we stand. So we're in a position in Christ, in grace of peace with God. That's, that's what the gospel is all about. That's salvation. We praise God for that. It's one of the reasons we do have joy and blessedness in our lives right now no matter what. That's the vertical 
cross beam. There's also a horizontal beam. Helps us remember, illustrate. When we enter into peace with God, we are to enter into peace with all the others, our family, our spiritual family who've been reconciled to God. We're like inmates on death row. and At the last minute, we're pardoned. Well, we can't be judgmental toward the other inmates on death row. They've been pardoned as well. So if someone does something that seems like an offense to me, is it so much worse than what I did to Jesus that put him on the cross? Probably not. So we're going to be gracious, patient, merciful. The ground of our peace is the gospel. You've heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Their names have become synonymous with the word feud. It's said that the feud of the Hatfields and the McCoys started over a stolen pig before it was over. Fifteen lives had been claimed over a period of 33 years. But did you know that the turning point in the feud came on a cold, clear day in 1911 when Devil Ames Hatfield, at the age of 72, went forward at the invitation in a revival meeting and was baptized in the cold, clear waters of Island Creek. Afterwards, the preacher that baptized him, Dyke Garrett, claimed to be, quote, the man who baptized the devil, end quote. Historian Keith Davis writes that the baptism not only helped end the feud, but impacted generations of Hatfields and other families throughout the region. According to friends and neighbors, Devil Ains spent the last 10 years of his life in peace, knowing that his sins were washed away in the cool waters of that stream. His death of pneumonia at the age of 81 was followed by the largest funeral ever held in Logan County, drawing several thousand people. And they say some of the mourners even bore the name McCoy. What a great illustration of the power of the gospel to bring about interpersonal peace. So thirdly and finally, what is our role as peacemakers? Our role as peacemakers. The next verse in Philippians, Philippians 4.3. After Paul writes this to Yodi and Syntyche personally, he says, Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Paul is recruiting some partners to help bring about peace and resolve this situation. Loyal yoke fellow, we don't know who that was. It may have been a preacher, it may have been an elder in the church. Clement, one of the people in the church, the other members, to come along and help. We want to be partners in making peace, keeping peace, creating a culture of peace and unity in the church. Many things we could talk about. Well, let's just suggest four. Number one, we want to be humble and tolerant. Humble and tolerant, especially when it comes to this area of biblical interpretation. In Ephesians 4, 2, Paul writes, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So humble, patient, areas of uh, scriptural, doctrinal interpretation. You know, the Vera Christian Church and other Christian churches are part of what's called the restoration movement. We seek to create unity by restoring the church that we read about in the New Testament. It's one of our goals. And in the restoration movement, we have a number of slogans. But one of those slogans is this. In matters of faith, unity. In matters of opinion, liberty or freedom. And in all things, love. In matters of faith, 
unity, in matters of opinion, liberty, and in all things, love. When we remember that and put that into practice, it can go a long way to creating a culture of peace. We're patient, loving, gentle with each other. I think we've had unity here for years. I think one of the reasons is part of the process for coming into Vera Christian Church, becoming a member, is to attend one of our monthly Discover luncheons. And in that luncheon, basically, I make a presentation and cover what we consider to be the matters of faith, Uh, the things that are non-negotiables that we believe here, that someone needs to know before they come a part of our family, and that we all, therefore, agree on. So I basically talk about our Bible, our, our view of the Bible. We consider it to be the infallible, inerrant Word of God. The Bible is our Word of God, our only rule of faith and practice. That's what we go to. Over a tradition of humans or over ecclesiastical authority, we go by the Bible. And then we talk about what we believe about salvation. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. He lived historically. He died, was buried, rose from the grave. We believe you, get, you believe, repent, confess Jesus as Lord, and are baptized into Christ. So we cover that area. We cover our, our church polity, you know, how we're organized. We are a local congregation that's under the oversight of our, a plurality of elders. So that's how we're organized in the church. And we cover a little bit about expectations of members. Having covered these things, and everybody says, yeah, that's, I, that lines up with what I believe, and I'm coming on in. Having done that, we've kind of squared away this issue of in matters of faith, unity. Then there's a whole host of other areas that fall in into the category of opinion in the sense that there's not a thus saith the Lord. These are things that we reason from biblical principle to arrive at whatever our beliefs are. There's a whole bunch of things in that category. Let me give you one example, and I use this often in the Discover class. Let's take the issue of Halloween. There are parents in our church who believe that Halloween, because of its occultic origins, it's not proper for them to have their children dress up in costumes and go out trick-or-treating. So they don't let their children do that. There are other parents in our church who say, eh, that may have been true at one time, but now Halloween is just a national costume party. Nobody's worshiping the devil. It's no big deal. So their kids dress up and they go out and trick-or-treat. And then along that continuum may be opinions all along the way in between. Well, you know what? That's okay. That's a matter of opinion where there's not a thus saith the Lord. So you might have your opinion. You might have your opinion, but that doesn't mean anybody's got to go to war or leave the church, right? Matters of opinion, liberty, and in all things, we're going to treat each other with grace and love. Okay, so just talking about that's another thing. I'm talking about four things, and that was two on how to be, play our role as peacemakers. Or maybe that was one, actually. Number two. Quick to apologize, quick to apologize as Jesus is talking about somebody worshiping in the temple and if they remember that someone has something against them, he says, first go and be reconciled to them, come and offer your gift. Wayne Smith was a preacher in our brotherhood, he's passed away now, but at a mega church, Southland Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky, thousands of members preached there for decades, great preacher in our brotherhood, loved to hear Wayne Smith preach, but I went to a minister's retreat one time, so he was coaching us ministers. He said, guys, let me tell you something. He said, I never apologize 
for the gospel. I never apologized for Jesus Christ. Never apologized for the Bible. But he said, I apologize for Wayne Smith almost every week. Very humble guy. I heard somebody apologize just the other day. They, they were apologizing. It was a public situation. They'd said, spoken out of turn, and they just apologized. And I thought to myself, that's a very mature, spiritually mature, humble person who's willing to do that. It's amazing how powerful that is for unity and peacekeeping. The third one is support the leadership. The Hebrew writer says, obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. We have peace and unity in the church when we support our leaders. Our leadership structure here, like I said, is our eldership. They're the pastors of the church. They coach us. They give us direction. And oftentimes, if there is an interpersonal conflict that we can't resolve one-on-one, a lot of times the elders are the ones who are called into that situation and asked to help out, asked to moderate. And they do a great job of it. Wherever in that situation, listen to what they say, follow their direction, and their guidance. That's the hard, that's not the fun part. That's, that's part of the hard part of being an elder, but we appreciate those guys so much. And then finally, fourthly and finally, talking about our role as peacemakers is to check your bucket. Check your bucket. Proverbs 26:20. fire goes out for lack of fuel. Fire goes out for lack of fuel. Ever heard this expression, putting out fires? How'd, what kind of day did you have? Not so good. Spent the whole day putting out fires. What does that mean? Dealing with problems, dealing with different issues, trying to squelch those fires. Uh, <clears throat> I heard somebody say one time, everybody carries a bucket around with them. And what is in your bucket? So if you're, if you're going to a fire, if you encounter in some way a personal conflict or a complaint, how do you deal with that? Do you stoke that fire or do we help to quench that fire? Some people approach that situation, and in their bucket is gasoline. They pour, it, they pour that on the fire, and the problem, when they're done with it, is worse than it was when they started. Other people come, and they've got a bucket of water. And when they deal with the problem, by the time they're done, the whole thing has been helped and de-escalated rather than escalated. So Yodi and Syntyche. Yodia calls me over. Hey, Steve. Did you hear what Syntyche said to me? No. What did Syntyche say? Oh, she said thus and so. Oh, really? Oh, well, that just reminds me. You know, I think she said something like that to me one time, and she gave me a funny look too. You know, Syntyche, well, that's pouring gasoline on the little embers that are burning there. Yodia calls me over. Steve, did you hear what Syntyche said to me? No, what did Syntyche say? Well, she said thus and so. Really? That doesn't sound like Syntyche to me. I know her heart. She's got a good heart. What did she say when you asked her about it? Oh, I haven't spoken to her about it. Oh, you haven't spoken to her about it? You're talking to me about it? No. Oh, okay, well, come on. Why don't we go over there right now? Let's, let's talk with her. Let's get this resolved. That's throwing water. That's a bucket of water. Question is, well, we all have to answer this for ourselves. What's in your bucket? The gasoline or water? Let's make a commitment. Let's recommit ourselves this morning that we will be partners working for peace and unity in our marriages, our families, in our community, perhaps most importantly, in our church, Lord's family. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the price that was paid so that we could enter into a peace treaty with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for our precious brothers and sisters 
for the precious unity that we have here in our little church. We ask that you would continue to bless that, Lord, and each one of us commits ourselves to be peacemakers and would be just like you, children of our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen.